The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the fifth Doctor story, Modrin Undead. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to follow The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, your favorite. A podcast app or at the SQPN YouTube channel where you should also make sure to get notifications. And uh, I want to tell you about another show that's on the StarQuest Network called Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. That's where we talk about a lot of different uh, movies and shows that don't have their own podcast. We've recently talked about a lot of the Marvel stuff. There's uh, been a whole series of uh, episodes on various iterations of Dune. Uh, with the new Dune movie coming out. And so we've got a lot more planned. So d- be sure to check it out wherever you find fine podcasts or at sqpn.com slash secrets. So, Jimmy, could you give us a brief recap of Modern Undead? Yeah. And for once, we have a Doctor Who plot that is more complex than a Lower Decks plot. So here we go. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot going on here. The story is usually is unusually complex and timey-wimey, and it doesn't have a full linear chronological structure, so I'm going to describe it in a not fully linear way. The story is split between two time periods, 1983 and 1977. In both time periods, the brigadier has left unit and is working as a math teacher at a posh British public, meaning private, school uh, in the countryside. In 1983, the Fifth Doctor, Nyssa, and Tegan are drawn onto a spaceship that has a transmat link with Earth, which was used six years ago in 1977. They end up on Earth, but they get separated between the two time periods. The Doctor meets Turlow, who will become a new companion. Turlow is an alien living on Earth in the guise of a somewhat rebellious teenager studying at the Brigadier's school. Turlow is desperate to get back to his home planet, and he is tricked into making a deal to destroy the Doctor by the Black Guardian, an immensely powerful being we met back in Tom Baker's Key to Time series when the Black Guardian was defeated and swore revenge on the Doctor. So now it's payback time. Meanwhile, Nyssa and Tegan discover someone who appears to be the Fifth Doctor, only he's been horribly disfigured by a transmat accident and appears to be in the process of regenerating, and he says he's regenerating. Only the regeneration is going wrong, turning him into a hideous mutation. After some identity confusion regarding whether he's the real doctor, it turns out that he's not. Instead, he's a guy named Maudrin, and he and seven members of his race stole a regeneration machine from Gallifrey to extend their lives. It did extend them, but it also caused them to mutate and have agonizing, endless existences, and they will never die. Thus, Maudrin and his companions are undead, hence the title. (laughs) Only all eight of the alien mutants can die if the Fifth Doctor gives up his eight remaining regenerations to cure them. 
The doctor is initially unwilling to do this, but when Tegan and Nyssa are struck with a horrifying virus they caught from the mutants, the doctor agrees to give up his remaining regenerations and thus his status as a Time Lord, so he'll be an ordinary dude with a TARDIS and vast knowledge. <laughs> in order to let the mutants die and save Tegan and Nyssa. Fortunately, this doesn't happen because there is a 1977 and a 1983 version of the Brigadier on the alien spaceship. The two of them meet and touch each other, shorting out the time differential between them. This, cause, this uh, provides the energy needed to let the regeneration machine work and power it up so that uh, Modron and his alien space mutant buddies can finally die, and Tegan and Nyssa can finally be cured. In the end, both brigadiers are returned to their respective times, and Turlo joins the TARDIS crew. The end. Hmm. Okay, that was good, because I was confused watching this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually thought this one moved. Moved pretty well. It it yep. was nice. It was nicely yeah. complex. I like complex plots. Well, it, it helped that it helped you know, when you talk about being, for being confused. It helped that you know they made sure that the younger brigadier had completely black hair and the older brigadier yeah. had completely almost completely white hair. They and no mustache. The no mustache. Difference between the two of them. Right. So right. should we should mention right off the bat that the brigadier is back. This is his first time back since the fourth Doctor's time. Mm -hmm. On yeah. Doctor Who, it's it's funny we saw also another return of the Brigadier with, with that recent Seventh Doctor story, which is obviously mm -hmm. six weeks later. Right. So this was the first time the Brigadier came back after Tom Baker, and there's also the, the he appears in the Five Doctors, mm -hmm. and then he appears uh, in the Seventh Doctor story, but Battlefield, the oh. Battlefield, yeah, the Merlin story, if you're mm -hmm. remembering it that way. And he and and that last one was meant to be his final appearance. You may remember he was meant to die there, but they didn't kill him after all, allowing him to have some interaction with the franchise after that. Originally, it wasn't going to be the Brigadier in this story. It was they were going to go all the way back to the first Doctor's time and have Ian Chesterton oh, be the, oh, be be cool. the public, meaning private school teacher. <laughs> Public schools in Britain are very expensive, exclusive tuition schools. Basically. Yeah, they're what we in America would call private schools. All right. The other thing I missed watching why this. Do they, I, don't, I, I don't understand exactly why they call them public. I mean, because here, here in America, the way it works is it's a public school in that anyone from the public can go there and not have to pay. Yeah. Because you pay through your taxes. And it's a private school if not everybody from the public gets to go there because you have to pay. But um, in Britain, I guess it's like it's a it's a public school in that anyone from the public can pay to go there. <laughs> See, okay. that's, that's I'm wondering if it's in contrast to like a Catholic school, you know, a church school where yeah. in general only members of the church would send their kids there versus a yeah. public school is something that it's secular. But it's still a private school. It's not a government school. So it's I, I'm sure it has something to do with Henry V and succession wars mm -hmm. and something. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that some of our uh, British listeners will, will be able to chime in and let us know exactly why they're called public. And we, we, should, we should also mention, speaking of the Brigadier, is that while the Brigadier is in here, Unit is not. 
We do hear that right. the unit is top secret. It's not known outside of the public. Uh, Sergeant Benton is now a used car dealer. Uh, <laughs> no, how about that? Um, and, and, and would you buy said, a car from this man? <laughs> yeah, well, I would, but I would. Benton. The, also, Harry Sullivan has been seconded to NATO and is said to be working at, on something at Port and Downs. And as soon as he said Port and Downs, it's like, really? Port and Downs is a real military facility in in England where they have done like biological warfare experiments and stuff. Oh wow. <laughs> and so it's like, uh, oh, I'm 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 hoping that they're having Harry work on defenses against biological warfare. <laughs> Not make them, yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of the brigadier, the the older brigadier, the 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 the, the 1983 version has a memory block through yeah. much of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Like he had a he had a nervous breakdown at some point previously that made him forget his time with the doctor and unit. Yeah, he he apparently came to work at the school and then quickly had a nervous breakdown that knocked him off his feet for a couple of years. And that was six years ago when he got to the school. And he's now recovered, but he's not remembering a lot of the time he spent at unit. He knows he was in unit, but he does not remember the doctor at all. Mm. And so when the fifth doctor shows up, he's introducing himself and the brigadier is like, who are you? And I'm the doctor. Well, yeah. So who are you? Are you a medical doctor or what? And he has no memory. And he's like, oh, objects can't dematerialize and stuff like that. (laughs) And the doctor, that's why we get the discussion of where all these people are, because he says, well, what about He also apparently they say that unit is a classified organization that the public doesn't know about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I never got that impression from <laughs> no. from nope. our previous interactions with it. It seemed like it was part of the United Nations and everybody knew about it. But here he says it's not. And so if the doctor knows about it, he doesn't want him blabbing about it in front of other people. So they they go to his uh, quarters and the doctor is like, OK, so tell me about what happened with Harry Sullivan. And he does. And how about uh, and how about Benton? And he does. And how about Josephine Grant? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the all of a sudden, the brigadier is having trouble because she worked directly with the doctor. Yep. And how about Sarah Jane Smith? And how about and he's naming all yep. of the third Liz doctor's Shaw. companions, yep. Liz Shaw. And as he starts naming the doctor's companions, the brigadier is kind of reeling and it starts breaking his memory block. Until he is able to remember the doctor, and after that, we're off and running. Yep. Are we to presume that the the memory block and the breakdown were caused by the younger brigadier's encounter with the older brigadier I, in the yes. story? So, yes. So we they pay that off. He the doctor says that it's very unlikely that we would have this time paradox going on here, and have the brigadier's memory problem unrelated to it. So what happens is they they for the first time on screen they pay off the Blinovich limitation effect. Yeah, you may you may recall recently we saw a third Doctor story where in a throwaway line, Josephine or Joe Grant asks why you can't meet yourself, and the Doctor says, "Oh, because of the Blinovich limitation effect." And they move on. We never mm-hmm. we never they never explained what that is. Well, now we see it, and they've used it since. If you meet yourself from two different points in your own timeline, 
there is a time differential between the two of you that means you have different potential energy levels right and temporal energy levels and if you touch it will short out that differential and here we see that and that can be a traumatic thing which it is in this case both brigadiers get knocked out they get knocked unconscious and the younger one who didn't have i guess all of the context or something to understand what was happening, that's what caused his nervous breakdown and caused his memory block about the doctor and everything. And so when they drop him off, he kind of stays unconscious and he will recover and become the 1983 brigadier. But he's got to go through those six years yeah. first. It, it, okay. You know, what, what happens is, as, as Tegan puts it, zap. And of course, they, they mentioned that. And, and Father you, you Corey that is again. much more concise than I am. Yeah. <laughs> zap. Well, that, that's, that's like actually they, how they that's how they express how the doctor says, as Tegan says, zap. They shuffle their feet across the space time continuum. I, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, Jimmy. <laughs> don't we later see Tegan get that? Doesn't she encounter herself and get that I'm effect? Sorry, too? I, I didn't quite catch that. Uh, isn't there isn't there a point uh, in a later episode where Tegan gets zapped, where she encounters herself as well? Maybe I, I seem to recall know. something like that where it was it was only like you know a couple hours difference or something like that. But mm -hmm. so the other thing that I missed because again I'm <laughs> things I missed I missed that Turlo was an alien like I mm -hmm. because there were times of going how does he mm -hmm. know this stuff and I uh -huh. was and, and I thought maybe the Black Guardian had infused this knowledge in him somehow or. Uh, so I didn't catch the whole I'm I'm an alien bit. That was a little well. And I I don't know if I'm paying attention or not or something. Well, they didn't they didn't state anything about it. They didn't they well, didn't say that he was, they, uh, but they implied it very strongly. If you kind of read the, yeah, he's he's on Earth and he's complaining about the fact he's on Earth. Mm -hmm. And yep. the Black Guardian convinces him that the Doctor is a bad guy because T Turlo is not fundamentally bad. Um, so if he knew the doc from, from the outset, the doctor's a good guy, he would never agree to help the black guardian, but the black guardian tricks him in, into working against the doctor in exchange for a trip home. Mm -hmm. right. And, and similarly, when he gets into the transmat link with the spaceship for Modern's people. It's like, oh, maybe I can use this to go home. And then when he gets into TARDIS, it's, oh, I can use this to go home. And at the end of the episode, when he's alone in the TARDIS, he is in the act of stealing the TARDIS to go home. Yeah. When they walk in, he volunteers to become a companion instead. Right. So Turlo is all about getting home. Yep. Yeah. After they, they crash the, the, uh, the Brigadier's really nice old car, uh, yeah. which kind of looks a little like Bessie, except it's not yellow. Uh, yeah. Turlo is in like some sort of limbo with the Black Guardian. Some like yep. uh, really poorly 1980s computer graphics digitized background limbo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was like, the top of the line for yeah, 1983. <laughs> and uh, he says, "You know, am I dead?" And the Guardian says, uh, "No, you're just sleeping." And he says, "I don't think I'd really care if I were. I hate Earth. I suppose that's supposed to be where we're supposed to get the idea that he's not from Earth." Right. I. I, su I, I guess like I hate Earth is kind of an odd construction if you're not from somewhere else. So I get I guess I could see that it was subtle. <laughs> they 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 don't reveal the name of his planet until Turlo's final adventure. He's from a planet mm -hmm. called Trion, 
and he's here because they're having a civil war on oh. Tryon, which is so it's like during World War II, you send your kids to the countryside to keep them safe. Right, right. And then and they find a wardrobe. Kind of, yeah. yeah. And that's <laughs> that's kind of what's going on. Well, they do. They get a magic blue box. Exactly. And they go through to another world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about Mara. I'm sorry. Tegan and the Mara and Nyssa. Uh, at the beginning of this, Tegan is still reeling from her encounter with the Mara in the, la in the last one, the, the, the snake one. Uh, and snake dance. Snake mm -hmm. dance. Yeah. And she wants to go home. She's just like, I just, just, just take me home. And it's a, the question is, 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 are you are you asking to be let off? Because this is now the maybe the second time where she's been asked. She's asked to kind of go home. And there's this question of, is she going to leave the TARDIS or stay? So this this kind of this open question that keeps coming up with Tegan. Well, she's not a voluntary traveler anyway. She's an accidental traveler. Right. Oh, by the way, I wanted to mention before we leave Turlow, oh, this yep. will be real quick. He is what the doctor is worried about with Clara because mm -hmm. the doctor is worried about, is Clara a trap? Has, oh. has, has Clara been set up to be around the doctor by some enemy? And, and in the background is the fact that's exactly what his previous companion Turlow mm -hmm. was. Turlow was set up by one of his enemies to be a trap. And ultimately, Turlow's going to have to make a choice of does he side with the doctor or does he side with the Black Guardian? A little bit of once burned, twice shy. Yeah. Yeah. But with uh, with Tegan, yeah, she's she's not a voluntary traveler. She does have an aptitude, which the doctor points out real quick at when she first joins, that she can be an effective like coordinator of the group. Mm -hmm. And she, and we I think we see that here. You know, through with her interactions with Nyssa, sort of Nyssa is Spock and Tegan is Kirk when the doctor mm -hmm. isn't around. Yeah. But she does not like travel as much as some of the others. And I has she already there's a there's a point where she storms off and then she comes yeah. back. And we've yeah. already seen that. And I mean, leaves the TARDIS, but then she's back the next story. Yeah. Um she will in the end storm off permanently. Okay. I you know, I I think you know, you mentioned that she's unwilling traveler and at first she was. She accidentally she basically stumbled into the the TARDIS on accident, but she made the choice the second time to come on willingly. True. Right. So True. At, at this point we, she's a willing traveler, but yeah, she does eventually just I'm done, I'm out of here. I quit. Yeah. yeah. And back in the day you could have a Longtime companion gets upset and storms off forever. Not happy departure story, which mm -hmm. you can't have anymore. <laughs> now it, it has to be a happy one somehow that is also sad. Yeah, yeah. like yeah, I'm they trying don't to think ever of any die. Modern Who versions where they left storming off. Uh, well, yeah. the closest you get is Martha Jones. I was thinking that where yeah. where she, it's it's like okay, you're never going to be into me, so this is me getting out. And right. that's the closest you get. But even that is kind of empowering and stuff, as opposed to we've just been put through the death ringer again. I'm sick of this. Goodbye. <laughs> I am done. Yeah, that's true. Um, You know, Tegan and Nissa, Tegan really takes control in this one. Like, she's really the one who's right through most of this. And Nissa is the one who's wrong mm -hmm. through a lot. She keeps like Nissa completely misses the fact that it's not the doctor. It's Modern. Tegan doesn't trust him the whole way. Like, she's like, no, this is not the doctor. 
And Nissa is 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 tricked. You know, all, she hook line and sinker through the through the whole the the whole gag until he reveals himself or the doctor shows up again. And it's kind of interesting to see the difference. It's interesting to see the difference. I don't know that either position is unreasonable given the who the character is. Right. Because Tegan is a 20th century Earth woman who is much less used to dealing with aliens and alien life forms and thinking through the possibilities of what could you regenerate as mm. than um, than Nissa is. And even these days, they've and they've gone into this even more in the in like Big Finish, but even on the show, they've hinted that Time Lords can regenerate into all kinds of things that don't actually necessarily look human. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, and they've referred repeatedly to traumatic regenerations, and so it's it's possible that. And we should explain for the listeners who haven't seen this. So, when they meet Modron and think it's the Doctor, he's initially he does kind of look a little bit the actor without all the makeup. Mm-hmm. Does physically kind of resemble Peter Davison, but he's like horribly burned, right? And um, and then he turns into this spaghetti-headed mm. mutant. He's yeah. got this spaghetti on the top of his head. It's <laughs> like a little bloody window into his skull with spaghetti underneath, yeah. and the spaghetti pulses. And he's really tall. And for a time, as he's healing, they they put like the fourth doctor's burgundy coat on top of him. Mm-hmm. And so for part of the time, he's wearing the fourth doctor's burgundy coat. But he's got this pulsating spaghetti head and th- with blood around the edge of the spaghetti and or maybe tomato sauce. I don't know. <laughs> But all of all of his other companion mutants are like that. They all have the spaghetti head thing going. And then they put on these uh, really floofy clown robes Mm -hmm. that that have weird (laughs) pastel colored ridges. It looks to me more like something a clown would wear than anything else. But they have these almost hoop skirts, uh, stiff, you know, bottoms of their of their yep. robes and they they it looks like they gl- mince or glide across the floor because you can't see their legs move. Right. So basically they are giant tall zombie <laughs> pulsating spaghetti head space clowns who are the <laughs> victims of brain salad <laughs> surgery. Yeah. And the doctor and- hypothetically could regenerate that way and Tegan just doesn't realize it. That's true. <laughs> and they're on board this ship <laughs> that they that they've run basically literally the doctor runs like almost runs into it with the TARDIS and it's in a stable not just space orbit but time orbit they say right so it's like it's stationary in time and space which means it's out sort of outside of time or time is not passing on board no maybe? I think it cycles through the same patches of space and time over and over again right. because oh, okay. they mentioned that that the uh, transmat will lock onto different planets as they get close to it I see. And, and this, so at this time it, it happened it, to be Earth. Okay, it's close to Earth. Okay. And it's got a 3000 year orbit. Okay, okay, that's what it is. So they end up on board that and that's that ship ends up being blown to bits. But they can't get away from it. That so this was kind of interesting. You mentioned this in in your recap. They the Doctor and Nissa and Tegan try to fly away from in in the Brigadier. Fly away from the uh this ship that he tries to dematerialize. But once they've been infected by whatever this virus is they got from mm-hmm. the uh, Modern and his buddies, 
they start to at one point they start to age and disfigure horribly and then in another tra- attempt they they de-age they become very like they they put child actors in their clothes yeah. <laughs> so it was basically, very, basically very almost amusing. like they almost became like teens basically preteen even yeah they yeah. were they were very young well another so, thing that one thing they mentioned too is that it, this ship is in a, they call it a warp ellipse which kind of sounds like techno babble way of saying right. that they're in a time space uh uh time orbit space bubble but that it caused the TARDIS to go off course because it basically like, like the rocks of, you know, rocks of a coast caused it to crash. So the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, this, uh, this other fellow Ibbotson, this other oh, yeah. student who follows Turlo around. I just thought it was kind of funny. This guy, he, this poor guy gets abused by Turlo. Like, and, and the Brigadier. It, yeah. Right. Oh, and he gets so, thrown under the bus and blamed for the car crash, and yeah, he keeps he, coming back for more. He's a fellow student of Turlow's, and uh, his name is Ibbotson, but they his nickname is Hippo. Mm. And the idea is he's supposed to be overweight. Right. And so that's why they call him Hippo. And the thing is, he's, I agree, okay, by historical standards, this guy is overweight. But by modern standards, no, he's not. <laughs> he he's he's a tiny, he's a little soft around the middle. Yeah, but he is not he's not obese or anything like that. But they treat him as if he is, and mm-hmm. I found I did not like this in the writing. I mm-hmm. found this really problematic. Makes the characters look mean and petty when two now having been an overweight person. I, I, people who are not overweight do not understand how difficult it is to lose weight. Mm-hmm. In particular, in light of the terrible diet advice that was given by the government in, and not just our government, but given by the governments on behalf of big food <laughs> in the 20th century. Yeah. It was that that caused the wave of obesity that mm-hmm. is sweeping the developed world. And when people implemented the bad advice the government was telling them and the media was creating as this is a healthy diet, that's when they really got fat. That's what right. triggered the the obesity epidemic. And in order to lose weight, if you no matter how hard you try, if you're listening to the government's advice, it will not happen. Yep. And so I spent years desperate to lose weight. I tried all kinds of stuff. It is not a lack of willpower. It is a lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then I finally discovered what would work. And if you want to know about that, go to jimmyaken.com slash fast, F-A-S-T. But I think fat shaming someone to their face, I mean, talking behind their back is bad enough because Mm -hmm. people, it's not a lack of willpower. It's a lack of knowledge. But assuming moral fault on the part of someone who is overweight behind their back is bad enough, but shaming them to their face is off the charts offensive as far as I'm concerned. And yet they have the brigadier insulting Ibbotson to his face when they've got to like climb up a hill to get to the TARDIS and both of them are kind of puffing as a result of climbing up the hill. The brigadier, who does not at this point, this is the 1977, no, this is the 1983 brigadier who doesn't yet remember the doctor. Mm -hmm. He's like, 
if you would take regular exercise, you're, not only would your body be less disgusting, mm. you would have a healthier imagination because objects can't just vanish. And it's like, I'm sorry, Ibbotson's body is less disgusting than yours, 1983 Brigadier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not the one to talk here. You have more middle-aged spread on you than he's got. Yeah. It's <laughs> the, yeah, being overweight as a moral failing is the, it just, yeah. And by the way, if you also would like to li listen to Jimmy talk about his weight loss, you can w listen to episode 21 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. That was a good one. A lot of people have, lot of people have listened to that it and really said uh, it helped them a lot. So, yeah, check it out. And, and uh, I, I, I agree. I agree with, with Jimmy on that. You know, I, I'm one that I, I struggle with. Weight. I'm not, you know, morbidly obese, but I'm, I'm definitely about 50 pounds heavier than I should be. And a lot of that is, you know, bad diet and, and you know, a lot, a lot of the, the stuff that Jimmy talked about. So it's, it's very, it, it is a very disappointing because, yeah, you look at the guy, he's stocky is how I would describe he's stocky. him. He's got a little yeah. weight, he's, you know, but he's not. Not bad by any stretch of the imagination, and it, it, I, I don't know why they they did that. That that seems like such a poor decision on the part of the the writers and the producers. Well, I wonder. I mean, a lot of these schools had these boarding schools, English boarding schools, have this reputation for being places that are like the bad places to go, to, where you know you get uh, abused and you know uh, by other kids, and it's just. And we've seen this actually a few times. Uh, we saw it in uh, Modern Who in the uh, the one where the doctor lost his, had his memory in the in the watch, uh, the blood human oh, nature, family human nature, blood. family of blood, right? And another private, you know, public private school situation where it was similarly <laughs> abusive. Again, <laughs> like that one they talked about beating the kids, you know, for discipline. So well, I wonder if it's some of that. By beat, they mean give a paddling. Yeah. And and they they have an exchange where they discuss getting a beating as well between uh, Turlow and Ibbotson. Yeah. Um, and, but it, uh, as I learned after we discussed that, getting a beating just means being paddled. Right. OK. Still corporal punishment. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the younger kid, uh, the, the younger boy gets, you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, pushed around and bullied by the older boys and. I wonder if, if there's a little element of just showing this is what it was like to be a student at one of these places. Oh, yeah. And and it's there's a lot of this in British literature. Um, there's one of um, Michael Palin's Ripping Yarns mm -hmm. is uh, it's based on Tom something school days. Is it Tom Hardy's school days? Tom Jones school days? Tom Brown school days? Anyway, it's based on a. It's a parody of this genre of public school fiction where right. you have these school bullies. And in, in the Ripping Yarns version, school bully is an institution <laughs> at the school. Um, and people will refer to the school bully by that as a title, school bully. <laughs> and the school bully can intimidate even the, the, the headmaster, the principal. And then at the end, the like young scrappy guy who is the subject of bullying over the course of the story manages to grow in respect. And at the end, when the school bully moves on to a new school, he gets to become the new school bully. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yay for you. <laughs> so um, I suppose just like uh, wrapping up just a few little last things. I, I noticed one thing with Turlow. He spends a lot of these uh, episodes 
saying to the Black Guardian, I don't know, you can't blame me. <laughs> like, yes, yeah, he because, does. Yeah, because uh, everything that Black Guardian tries to get him to do ends up going wrong, doesn't work, is, you know, the Doctor, of course, escapes the all of the, the nefarious uh, plots. Uh, but Thrilla does spend a lot of time saying, I don't know, you can't blame me, uh, which I yeah. think is funny. And he kind of, it's he's like, I don't know, what is it with bringing young men on board who are annoying? Because we just got rid of one. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, what's his name with the Adric. star, the gold star? Adric. A- Adric. Adric. You know, we just got rid of Adric. And now we bring another one on. And Adric betrays the doctor. And now we have another young schoolboy who's tra- going betraying the doctor. I'm kind of curious about this, that we're revisiting this plot device. Well, Turlo is nowhere near as bad as Adric. Right. Um, okay. Turlo is, and at the end of this, so Turlo communicates with the Black Guardian through this little crystal that lights up that he holds in his hand. And at the end of this, that crystal cracks and is no longer functional. So Turlo thinks he's free. Right. But he's still trying to steal the TARDIS when they walk in on him. But pretty quickly, they resolve the Black Guardian thing. Um, there, it's a, it's actually a trilogy, mm-hmm. so we have two more, two more stories where Turlo is associated with the Black Guardian, and by the end of that, he's going to definitively turn his back on the Black Guardian and be a normal companion. Okay, and is he is he with the TARDIS with the Doctor for a while? Yeah, he's with uh, the he's with the TARDIS until the end of Peter Davison's time. Um, he leaves in like the episode that Perry comes on board oh. immediately before. It's called Planet of Fire. Immediately before, not Castrovelva, but the one the, the Caves of Androzani. Caves of Androzani, the uh, yeah. the Peter the Davison regeneration. regeneration episode. So, yeah. um, so he's there until like the the next to last Peter Davison episode. Oh, okay. So that's like half of the, the fifth doctor time. Cause I think we're about halfway through the fifth doctors run mm-hmm. here. So mm-hmm. interesting. By, by the way, speaking of the black guardian. So he's, he's, he's classic, totally over the top evil villain. Um, yeah. Think the emperor from star Wars with a black crow on his head. for <laughs> <Yeah>. Reasons. <laughs> he's played by an actor named Valentin Dial. And Valentin Dial was actually considered for the role of the second doctor. Huh. And I've, I remember reading somewhere, and I tried to find it and I couldn't, but I remember reading somewhere that Valent- Valentin Dial was a devout Catholic and that I think he like, I remember reading that he like finished his life in a monastery or oh, wow. something. I'm not saying he was necessarily a monk, but he was like living in a monastery or something. But I, I couldn't find that to confirm it. But that's my memory. Interesting. He, he has quite the uh, voice. I really enjoyed his voice. Yeah, uh, yes. He's, yeah. he's got a great bad guy voice. At one point, uh, just to show how much of a you know evil villain bad guy stereotype, uh, he says, the doctor is good and that's my evil. <laughs> yeah. It's just so funny. Yeah, he flat out <laughs> says, I'm evil. I mean, literally, yeah. use those words. At one yeah. point, he's frustrated, and he says, "In the name of all that's evil, destroy him." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very over the top. That's awesome, uh, Father Corey. Any other notes on this episode? Uh, one thing we didn't mention was the timing of these these uh, time oh, periods. Right. 
Uh, so first of all, you know, 1977, that, that was important because that was the silver jubilee of Queen Elizabeth II is when yeah. that, that was occurring. However, this stumbles onto the unit dating controversy yep. because right. the brigadier supposedly retired from unit in 1976. However, most of the third doctor, fourth doctor unit stories are in the 80s, 1980s, quote unquote. And the brigadier is younger. They don't now they don't explicitly sedate when they are. But like, for example, one of the first unit stories was 1979. Sarah Jane Smith is supposedly from the 1980, from 1980. So, right. So all the unit stories that came before this happen after or during these events. So like 1983 would have been during the Brigadier's time at unit versus. So right. th- there's kind of a big controversy because of course, when they did the unit stories in the third and fourth doctors, they didn't want them to be contemporary. They wanted them to be 10 years ahead, give or take. And so. Well, now we've got this this controversy, which is, you know, big. Of course, Jimmy can speak more about that. But Well, no, I think that's a great summary. I was just going to say that by the Fifth Doctor's time, they were wanting the stories to be contemporary. Right. Which is why they come down in 1983. And one of the people on the show pointed out, this is going to contradict all that other stuff. And they said, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, yeah. that, and thus we have the unit dating controversy because right. they, the policy changed and so they uh, have periodically alluded to that in New Who. It's like, yeah, it's the 70s or 80s, depending on how which filing system you're using. <laughs> right. Right. I remember that. That right. was one of them. <laughs> and then, and then another, another thing we saw was kind of cool is that, you know, as the brigadier is trying to remember the doctor, you see flashes of different, you know, the companions and the Daleks and the robot from the first Tom Baker story. And, of course, the third and fourth doctors. And, you know, they kind of bring those, those flashbacks. So that's not something that just happened with, New Who, they've done that in Classic Who as well, where they brought back uh, these events. And at one point, the Doctor does talk about reversing the polarity of the neutron flow. Yep. Oh, yes. You have to always mention that. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Jimmy, any other uh, thoughts? So um, this was written by Peter Grimwade, and wow, is it vastly better. I mean, I actually Mm -hmm. like this story for its, uh, I like its complexity, its detail and stuff. And it is so vastly better than his previous story. Time flight, oh, which was oh, wow. also, which was also set in two time periods, if you notice. <laughs> <laughs> but this that time flight was an abomination, and this one is actually good. I like this. It gets uh, quite creepy and tense towards the end as we're building towards the moment when the two brigadiers touch and everything shorts out. I like the the fancy uh, spaceship hotel they're on which Tegan compares to the Queen Mary. And indeed, mm-hmm. I've been on uh, cruise ships and and they are like this. At least now I haven't uh, different types of cruise ships. If you're talking, I don't know, carnival cruises, it's not going to be oh. like this. Yeah. But if you're talking Holland America or something, the more higher end cruise ships, yeah, it is like this. And so it reminded me of a cruise ship. I liked, though, the gold, the gold spray-painted plants they have all over the place. It's like, yep. okay, this is some kind of earth grass, big with, you know, but they've spray-painted it gold. <laughs> and I like that. I liked the directing in this. And normally I don't, I'm not a big, I'm not impressed by directing. Normally I don't even notice it. But one of the things, and this also sinks in with the script, but in this, we have 
this two time period storytelling where we'll be watching Tegan doing something in 1977 with the Brigadier mm-hmm. and they'll get to a plot point and then suddenly we'll shift to 1983 where the doctor is talking to the older Brigadier. Right. And it's as if the Brigadier has just summarized what happened in 1977 and the doctor will pick up with, yes, and then uh, blah, 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 Tegan, this and that, commenting on what we've just seen. Yep. But we don't see the summary. We see the event. And then we we right. pick up on immediately after some verbal summary of what happened. I like that. I Especially when we have some ambiguity about is Maudrin the doctor or not, because they don't initially let the viewer know. It's possible, you know, given the resemblance of the actor without makeup to Peter mm-hmm. Davison, that maybe they're doing that or something like that. There is effective body horror uh, with yeah. the doctor. And and even with Tegan and Nyssa when they start aging uncontrollably. But mm-hmm. when we're thinking this might be the doctor briefly, I mean, wow. The doctor becoming a zombie pulsating space headed, a spaghetti headed space clown. That's <laughs> that's pretty horrifying. Yeah, also, well, what followed follow mm-hmm. Peter Davidson was even more horrifying. Oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> space clown. <laughs> yeah. He, the sixth doctor is kind of a zombie spaghetti headed space clown now that I think of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. Also, m- notice Modern's people, they have unlimited regeneration mm. and that they've stolen from the Time Lords. And that actually sinks, in, sinks up with what's now been established with the Timeless ti- Child, that the 12 limit regeneration, the 12 regeneration limit is artificial. And so right. you could understand why the Time Lords would want to sabotage what Modern's people have done now that they've managed to steal the real original unlimited regeneration ability. You'd understand Mm -hmm. why they would want to poison that. I do want to point out that we're recording this before the latest season of the 13th doctor in which timeless child stuff may or may not have come up and may contradict or may confirm what we've just said. So if we, if what what Jimmy just said contradicts some nonsense that they (laughs) established in the 13th uh, season, because they've contradicted themselves. Just that's why. <laughs> and finally, we got some feedback recently from someone who said, I should just call it when uh, when someone is wearing a costume that has dad appeal. <laughs> and uh, Tegan has this remarkably short costume. I'm not wild about her bobbed hair, but wow, she's got dad appeal here. Yeah, <laughs> Tegan definitely has dad appeal. She does. <laughs> All right. So uh, I think that's a that is a perfect place to wrap things up. So let's take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Robert B, Don T, Lisa M, Mark P, and Aaron W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com/give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of Modern Undead? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 11th Doctor story, 
journey to the center of the TARDIS. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, the Brigadiers must not converge. Hi, everyone. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest, with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. This past year, the StarQuest Network has continued to expand our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture through our many entertaining and informative programs. Now we need your generous financial support to reach new audiences with more of the life-changing and uplifting programming we've been creating for more than a decade. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you are already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you and ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you're not yet a supporter, please become one now. Every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? Whatever level of support you can offer, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas. And remember that your gifts may be tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give. May God bless you this Advent, and may you have a blessed Christmas season.